Hello, and welcome back to the Iowa Type Theory Commute. I'm Aaron Stump, and this is the start of Season 3 of the podcast. Thanks for joining me. I'm excited to be starting season three of this podcast, and I have some things in store for you this uh, time that I hope will be interesting. The most kind of different one is I'm going to have a short course that I'm going to run on Zoom for interested Iowa Type Theory Commute listeners, and I'm planning to find three evening hours my time, because that's the only time I have to work under the pandemic since I take care of my kids all day. I'm going to find um, three evening hours in, I'm thinking in October, and uh, so like it might be like three Monday evenings at, you know, 8 p.m. or something. And um, I'll put some materials together. My planned topic is normalization, because this is a technical topic, um, and one of the most important um, within type theory, you could say. Definitely foundationally important within type theory. And so this will be a good chance. My idea for this is a lot of people who listen to this podcast, at least who have you know identified themselves to me, are programmers working in industry who are interested in advanced topics. And um, this normalization is the kind of thing that might be sort of intimidating to get into on your own, but actually really isn't that bad. And so I think it could be a nice topic for people who are not or working on PhDs, which some of the other listeners of this podcast are people working on PhDs. Um, But, you know, for people who are less immersed in the sort of technical papers out there, this could be a good chance to up your technical game a little bit and, um, and also get a chance to interact with other people who are interested in type theory. So I'll be announcing a little more about this later, but I want to give you a heads up now so you can think about whether that might be something you want to try. Totally free. Um, my plan is you just send me an email and I'll send you a Zoom link. Uh, so anyway, now for the start of this season three, I have um, a topic I selected that I would like to talk about, and that is proof theory. So this is chapter, um, I think it's 14, I forgot now, of the podcast, and it's going to be on proof theory. And uh, I have a bunch of reasons for wanting to do this, including that I myself am planning to do some research work in proof theory this semester, and so I wanted to kind of have an excuse to um, review some things and possibly to cover some stuff that's new to me. Uh, So um, anyway, so yeah, and so that's what we're going to talk about now for a bit. And proof theory, you could, some might try to make the case that type theory is actually a branch of proof theory. Um, you can find some evidence for something like this position. Uh, for example, I have this enormous yellow Elsevier book, which I find mostly pretty unhelpful, called Handbook of Proof Theory. And it has a chapter on type theory by Robert Constable. Um, so 
Uh, and under the Curry-Howard isomorphism, I mean, type theory... Well, see, actually, well, we could talk about the history of type theory as well. My plan today was to talk about history of proof theory, as such as I know it. Um, you know, I mean, type theory isn't just the Curry-Howard isomorphism. I mean, the first type theory, well, was Bertrand Russell's... Um, sorry, I'm a, not a fan of Bertrand Russell, but, um, but picked up and handled much more proficiently by the great Alonzo Church in his theory of simple types. These are... These are really the first type theories, and they don't involve the Curry-Howard isomorphism. But modern type theory, modern constructive type theory, is really based heavily on the Curry-Howard isomorphism, which you can, I mean, has strong proof-theoretic connections. I mean, it, it is a connection to proof theory. And so a lot of ideas from proof theory then become relevant for type theory, and ideas in type theory can feed back into or typed programming more generally can feed back into proof theory, which is interesting too. So um, anyway, so today I want to talk a little bit about what is proof theory, and uh, and then we'll be picking some topics in this this quite technical discipline of mathematical logic um, that that these days gets a lot of input from computer science too, computational logic. Um, so, and, and philosophical logic also uh, has contributions to make to proof theory. So, um, so proof theory, uh, I, I think, you know, in this huge handbook of proof theory I was mentioning, there's barely a, there's barely a line on the history of proof theory. Well, actually I actually don't really know because I haven't tried to plumb all 900 pages, but in the sort of obvious places where you expect people to be telling you about the history, they're not telling you anything about the history, which is sort of discouraging. Um, but, <laughs> uh, you know, proof, but there was actually, I read a pretty nice, um, article on the wonderful Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy. This is really a great resource and hats off to the guys who made this. I mean, many contributors. Um, and, uh, they were, there was an article talking about proof theory there and kind of pointing out some of the prehistory, uh, of the subject and um, I will. So a good case could be made that proof theory begins or has some kind of you know proto beginning in um, in the work of Frege, because Frege, um, while you know was not the first logician or anything, but he was kind of the first, it seems, to think um, about kind of how do we what kind of rules do we need to formulate in general for logical reasoning? And how should we treat things like quantifiers and general statements? Um, and so, you know, proof theory is the study, we're going to basically take the tools of mathematics um, and apply them to um, deduction. You know, we're going to try to have a theory of reasoning. So in that sense, you might say, well, isn't that just logic? But here it's, we're going to be more concerned with the actual rules and forms of inference that are allowed and um, various properties about these, uh, how, how do we formulate, you know, properties about our formulations of these rules. And so it's, um, even though there's a lot of sort of semantic methods that might be applied, it's pro primarily concerned with sort of a syntactic idea of proof. You know, we're going to have some rules that let you derive um, you know, give proofs of th for things, and proofs are kind of a syntactic, ob you know, object. So, 
Um, so you can't really have a theory of proofs if you haven't even identified what the proofs are. So definitely a very important first step in creating proof theory was some, having someone, like somebody thinking hard about what are the rules of proof in a kind of an abstract general form. And that was Frege's contribution. And some of the Fregean notation is still in use today in use today because he had, we get our turnstile, you know, you see in a, a lot of proof systems, you see this little symbol that looks like a vertical line down and then a horizontal line extending from the midpoint of that line to the right. And that little turnstile comes from notation that Frege had for deduction. And he had kind of like more like graph, some kind of graph notation. Um, but things, you know, are sort of connected and pointing out, out to the side and whatever. I, I, I'm not an expert. Ah, my not an expert hat comes out already right at the beginning here. <laughs> Season three and proof theory chapter. But um, yeah, but anyhow, so uh, identifying the... the the, the rules of the game is really critical when you're then going to go do game theory. I mean, here are the rules of the game. Here we're talking about proofs, the, the forms of proof, and we're going to have a theory about proofs. That's proof theory. So, um, but proof theory really, um, you could probably would have to say, crystallized most um, distinctly at the hands, in the hands of David Hilbert one of the great mathematicians of his generation, one of the greatest mathematicians of his generation, whose um, academic offspring include lots of people of interest for computer science, including Curry, Haskell Curry. If I'm not, I believe this is right, did his dissertation um, with uh, David Hilbert in Germany. I hope I'm not totally wrong about that. I think that's right. Um, there's, uh, so David Hilbert was, uh, became very interested in, um, in studying proofs and in things like, um, say we have a set of proof rules, or maybe we have a set of axioms for some theory we're interested in. Well, mathematicians have definitely always been interested in making sure those are consistent, right? We, we definitely would like to know, if I have a bunch of axioms for a theory, and I drive all sorts of interesting theorems. Yeah, but I better make sure that those axioms are not inconsistent. That is, that they let me derive absolutely everything, right? Because inconsistent theories are generally not use interesting because inconsistent theories are ones that say everything is true. And it's, you know, in our world, we want distinctions. This is true. This is false. This is good. This is bad. Um, if, if something is just all-encompassing and all-embracing and just says everything's wonderful, um, that's, that's unfortunately not very useful. So, uh, anyway, so um, consistency is a really important property that we might care about for a set of rules for proofs or for axioms for a theory. What's the difference between axioms for the theory and rules for proofs? Well, in logic, right, you, you're sort of concerned with very general rules. They don't say anything about specific things like, okay, like say I want to do, you know, topology, and I'm talking about manifolds and this and that. Um, yeah, then I have a theory that has this sort of vocabulary and is talking about those sort of things. But logic isn't concerned with a specific domain, even if it's a very general and abstract one. It's just concerned with what follows from what. You know, if, if I assume these things, these formulas, what other formulas 
would I then be entitled to conclude from those assumptions? That's the role of, that's the interest in logic. Um, that's the subject for logic. And so, but we still are interested in, um, you know, putting on, you know, I guess you could say, I never really thought of it this way. Um, you know, if you're interested in meta-mathematics, right, I'm interested in, which you could sort of say, I mean, I think Hilbert's motivation was kind of meta-mathematical. He wanted to reason about mathematical reasoning and reason about sort of outside of some mathematical theory about the theory. So, for example, you know, partly there's, there's some impetus for this from um, non-Euclidean geometry, right? People realize that you could um, accept a bunch of Euclid's um, postulates for geometry, but if you rejected the parallel lines postulate, then you could have valid geometries which were different and had different theorems and different consequences. And so, um, so that told you that the original set of axioms minus the parallel lines postulate was sort of subject to different interpretations. Um, and uh, let's see, I guess I, when I said it had different theorems, something must not be entirely right there because it was a subset of the original theory. So, um, <laughs> well, it has different models anyway, that's for sure. So there's different structures out there that satisfy the non-Euclidean axioms than satisfy the Euclidean axioms. So we're, that's, that's already sort of a metamathematical step. It's like I have these rules that tell me, you know, some things are true, but now I want to think about kind of like, yeah, and a, a, in what specific structures are they true? And, and um, so anyway, so Hilbert was interested in this question of kind of things like minimality. Like I'd like to know that my axioms are non-overlapping, like they don't, no one axiom follows from any of the other, from any of the others, and this kind of thing. Um, so these are all properties about some mathematical theory, and proof theory is a you know kind of like meta mathematics for just the most basic forms of deduction, you know, logical deduction. So what if I assume these just really generic rules about logical reasoning, then what what follows from what? Um, so I mean, what can I say about the the kinds of reasoning I'll be able to do. Um, so anyway, so this kind of, and of course this was the era of foundational crises um, where we had, um, you know, we had Cantor um, devising this uh, elaborate um, set theoretical world that was um, making people feel a bit uncomfortable. People would like to pin this down. And we have Bertrand Russell discovering contradictions following from um, sort of a naive treatment of sets in set theory. And, and so proof theory was one of the main original motivations of proof theory was to resolve foundational questions. Like, let's make sure our core theory that we're using as the foundation of all mathematics is consistent. And of course, it was a big um, setback when people basically realized that you weren't going to be able to do that. You would not... Um, and, you know, Gödel's incompleteness theorem was showing that uh, you could not hope to justify mathematics, uh, a powerful theory of mathematics using a weaker theory of mathematics. So, um, you, you know, Hilbert had this dream that we have sort of a finite, finitary justification for, for more complex forms of mathematical reasoning, such as used in Cantor's constructions, and that, that hope was shown to be impossible. 
And so this original goal of proof theory, like let's analyze forms of inference and, and show consistency of theories, um, uh, you know, using simpler methods, it doesn't work. If you want to show consistency of a, of a theory that's, that's more than just a, some trivial tiny thing, you generally need a more powerful theory. You need more powerful mathematical principles um, than the, those of the theory you're trying to reason about. So um, from a foundational perspective, that's kind of disappointing. And it's basically saying your, your foundation, ultimately your foundation is going to be unjustified by more formal reasoning. You're going to have to accept it for, on some other grounds, uh, <laughs> which is, yeah, a little unsettling. Um, but proof theory, you know, grew out of these attempts. And, and so even if we can't do things like justify a theory once and for all, we can show translations between theories. We can say, well, um, if you accept set theory, then you should also accept this other theory. Because this other theory can be reduced proof theoretically to set theory. We can sort of show that the consistency of some, some theory we're interested in follows from the consistency. Um, oh, wait a second. How's this go? Yeah. We reduce the one theory to the other. Um, and so this shows that the, the, one we're re the theory we're reducing um, is basically no more contradictory than the theory we are reducing it to. Um, anyway, so, and of course, as I said before, so proof theory, we, we are interested in type theory because of the curry hard isomorphism where we view proofs as programs. And so that's a very fertile subject for interplay between these theories. We, we've talked about curry hard before, so I probably won't talk about that that much in this proof theory section. I'll probably talk more about um, just some of the, the results in proof theory. Um, and uh, different forms, I mean, one of the most important starting topics is what are the different forms of proof that we're going to consider. And so we'll talk about that a little bit um, probably in our next time. So thanks for listening for a little bit longer episode than usual here as we get started on, chap on uh, this next chapter on proof theory and at the start of season three of the Iowa Type Theory Commute. Feel free to drop me a line anytime. I really enjoy hearing from listeners. And thanks for listening.